Welcome to Busy House Happy Home, where you can ask Charlie your home dilemmas and I will help you along with my expert friends so your busy house becomes a happy home. Today I have Katie Armstrong, Dr. Katie Armstrong on the podcast, and this has been really requested by a lot of you listeners. Katie specializes in women's health, perimenopause, the menopause, and all things to do with, you know, that side of of things for us women. And so I am thrilled to introduce Katie and um, I hope you really enjoy our conversation today and find it helpful because it's something that's not really talked about, not openly. And so I want to have a really open conversation today with Katie and hope that you all find it helpful. So welcome, Katie. Thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Oh, Charlie, it's lovely to be here and um, I'm, I'm delighted. And we were just saying before um, we went live that, it, you know, I really, my mission, I'm a GP by background and, um, and I think um, our bodies at the best of times can be confusing. So I think it is really knowledge is power. I think if you can understand how your body works, um, it allows you to understand what's happening. Um, it allows you to make sense of how you're feeling and, that gives you control and we all need a bit more control in our lives um so yeah really really delighted to be here having a chat oh well thank you so I mean I think I've had lots of people get in touch saying that you know they're they're they feel like they're perimenopausal um and and you know Charlie can you can you talk to somebody can you talk to us about it because you know it happens to all of us women and I think it's something that hasn't really been discussed it's always been a bit hush hush and it's been sort of whispered about because I think people are embarrassed about admitting that they're going through a change in their body and I think that's really sad that it's not talked about openly. And what exactly does the term perimenopausal mean, Katie? And when does it start for women? So uh, I think that is, it's, that's a, an excellent question. It gets us right to the hub of the um, matter. Um, so um, what's perimenopause? Um, and uh, what does it mean? What's happening to our bodies? How long does it last? Um, you know, I, I think, um, and, and, and how do we know that we're going through a change? And does it even matter that we know that we're going through a change? And I think that often what will happen is that we want to be fine. We want, you know, we're used to being in control. Um, we're used to being able to sort things out in life. And this can be a time of life in midlife when suddenly that control is taken away from you. And it may be the first time in your life that you experience any symptoms at all, that you've been, you know, not unwell but feel different for the first time and that can be very scary and many women will deal with that by just keep going stick your head in the sand you know just get on with it focus on everybody else you know often we are looking after kids looking after parents looking after our houses working um everything and everybody else is put above us in the list um and um and when you throw your hormones into the mix that can get really, really tricky. So let's start by talking about where our hormones are produced from. So our hormones are produced by our ovaries, which are two little um, bits of tissue that sit in our pelvises. Now, it is little immature eggs in our ovaries that produce the majority of hormones. Our ovaries produce three hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And um, the thing for all women to know is that when we are born, we are born with a finite number of eggs. So we're born with about a million eggs. They're made as part of making us, as part of the embryological process, we can't make any more. So it is an inevitability for a woman, if she lives long enough, that she is gonna run out of those eggs. So menopause is natural. Menopause is something that is gonna happen to all of us, but there is a but. up until about 100 years ago, we only lived two or three years after our eggs run out. So our ovarian reserve is largely 
um, uh, the amount of ovarian reserve we have is largely based on the life expectancy of those generations that have gone before us. In the last 100 years, we have had nutrition, we've had better nutrition, we've had immunization, we've had sanitation, we've had contraception. We're now living 30 to 40 years and our ovaries just haven't caught up. So yeah. this is natural to have a menopause, but somewhat unnatural to have 30 to 40 years without the hormones that our ovaries produce. Yeah. So, I, yeah, so I think, um, so first of all, to understand what happens at menopause, um, I'm just going to tell you what happens when your ovaries are actually working, because my experience is that um, actually it's not something that most of us know. Um, yeah. And doctors might be able to draw you a graph, um, but they might not actually really be talking or, or understand the wide impact that has on our bodies. So every month you have about six to ten eggs in each ovary starting the journey to maturity and if you think about this whole thing as your body going from a very primal point of view this is mission continue the human race so all of this is about how do we get you pregnant and keep you pregnant yeah. that very very primal drive so these little eggs are maturing you only need one to be mature but the body is sensible it gives you you know 20 or so um and as those eggs mature, they produce estrogen. Now it's very clever because that estrogen causes the lining of the womb to grow, ready for a fertilized egg. And it also sends signals into the rest of the body. Now the body understands that it takes more than an ovary and a womb to get pregnant and to withstand a pregnancy. So we have estrogen receptors all over our body. It's a whole, you know, the whole body is recruited into this very important mission. So that rising level of estrogen in the first half of our cycle um, has a marked effect on us. It gives us energy, it makes us cognitively sharp, it makes us sleep better. Um, and all in all those things that give us a biological advantage to want to get out there, find a mate, and get some sperm to that egg. Um, so lots of estrogen pumping through our body. You get to mid-cycle and one of those eggs has reached maturity. When it's reached maturity, that's when you get ovulation. One is off for most months, one's ovulated, the other eggs know they're no longer needed. So they begin to just gently die away in the background. So estrogen levels go up and then they gently come down again in the second half of the cycle. What's left of the egg is the little shell of the egg is called the corpus luteum that produces progesterone. And progesterone is the second half of the cycle hormone. And progesterone's role is to get that egg to implant into the womb and to look after it until the placenta forms. So, east, so progesterone comes along. And if you think that the estrogen has built up this sort of duvet of um, lining of your womb, progesterone um, sort of pats that all down to try and make it stable for an egg to implant. And progesterone says, sing, sends signals into our body that are all about sort of protect. It's, it's slow down, it's eat a bit more. You, you know, we want to um, get some calories on board. We're preparing for a pregnancy. So second half of the cycle, we're much more likely to want to have a duvet day, to snuggle on the sofa. At the end of the cycle, um, the body is brutal. When it's realized there's no fertilized egg, both hormones drop like a stone. It's that sudden drop in hormones that causes the lining of our womb to shed and for us to have a period for the next cycle to start. Um, but it's also that sudden drop in hormones that makes most of us feel a bit sort of narky in that 24, 48 hours before our period. Um, and that kind of crying at nothing, rage at nothing is a little taster sign of how powerful our hormones are. So actually as women we are at the mercy of our hormones throughout our reproductive life but for good reason and actually just knowing that I'm going to have most energy in the first half of my cycle I'm going to feel less like doing things in the second half of my cycle is a really helpful thing for us to know because one of my other missions is that we need to be kinder to ourselves as women you know yeah. we think that we are superhuman and we're juggling a lot and we forget to look after ourselves. And so if we can just 
let ourselves off the hook sometimes and to know sometimes how we are and what we do is not all under our conscious control it's governed by these very powerful hormones um i think it helps us to be kind to ourselves definitely it's so important to be kind to ourselves and this is i think one of the reasons why i wanted to create this podcast um you know because we have such busy lives and we try and do so much but actually it's you know it's busy house happy home it's about trying to be as happy as we possibly can and if that is sitting down with a book and chilling out because you need to that's okay not feeling guilty that sometimes we do our body is telling us just just rest up you don't have to fill every second of every day with something um so I mean, I think just, as I say, just understanding your basic hormone cycle um, and not just because of, um, you know, I think a lot of us might know some of the stuff about eggs when we're trying to get pregnant, but we focus on it for little times in our lives and we don't see the fact that this is with us throughout the whole of our reproductive life. Now, now I'm going to talk to you a bit about what happens as our ovaries slow down. And my best analogy is to say... um, If you think of the eggs in your ovary like a battalion of soldiers, and you're going to think that those first ones at the beginning at puberty are like the keen as mustard new recruits. It's all a bit chaotic. They're full of lots of energy and enthusiasm, but it's all over the place. Puberty, your hormones are all over the place. Then you've got the well-trained troops. That is the bulk of your reproductive years, your 20s and 30s. They sort of just know what they're doing and they're getting on with it. There's the odd misfire and mistake, but you know, it works. Then hit your 40s. And what happens is that you have got less eggs, considerably less eggs, and the eggs that you've got have been around for 40 odd years. So things start to change. So think of it like those, the troops that have been back at barracks, they've not been doing their training. They've maybe not been quite so good. They've eaten a few too many pies. They've been to the pub. They can do the job, but it's a bit more haphazard. And that's my best way of explaining perimenopause. You're coming to a stage where you're still fertile, um, but you're much less fertile. Mm -hmm. You're still having your periods. But in the background, your hormones are starting to go all over the place. Um, And that's because you might only have two or three eggs maturing in each ovary each month. You might not have eggs that are good enough to ovulate. So you don't finish that second half bit of the cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, Your brain might start to kick in and your brain produces a hormone called follicle stimulating hormone. And that's like a whip to the ovaries. Um, And you might suddenly have 20 eggs. So the perimenopause which lasts about 10 to 15 years your hormone fluctuations start 10 to 15 years before your periods actually stop wow you know we all know doctors will tell women that their fertility falls off actually from their mid-30s but often but often doctors themselves haven't put that together with the fact well your fertility is falling off because your egg reserve is going down therefore your hormone production is changing Yeah. And that is not a, um, it's not an on-off switch. It is a, it's a process. So mm-hmm. menopause, I get a lot of people saying to me, but how do I know if I'm menopausal? Well, actually menopause is a day. Menopause is a day, is the day that you haven't had a period for a year when you're not taking any other form of hormones or contraception. Yeah. Um, that is literally just something that a doctor at some stage said it's helpful to put some labels on things so let's say that's a label but in the background your ovaries have been shutting down for 10 to 15 years that at that point we can say it is very unlikely that you're going to get pregnant but at that point you also still have some eggs left um yeah but you've got eggs that are never going to be good enough to get to ovulation. So normally after your periods have stopped, you've got another year to 18 months to two years of your ovaries still doing a bit of something in the background. And only after that, they've stopped. But at that point where they've stopped, you have run out of eggs and your estrogen production drops by 90%, as does your progesterone production. And through all of this, your testosterone has been falling and your testosterone falls by about a third. So it is a very major physiological change that happens to women. Yeah. Bearing in mind that we've then got 30 to 40 years to live with that change. Yeah. When, it's che- when you're in the stage where things are shutting down, 
what happens is your hormones are all over the place. So they're on one second and they're off the next. Best analogy, like being in a room with the light bulb on when your ovaries are working in your reproductive years. Perimenopause, like being in a room with a flickering light bulb. It's on, it's off, might be on for a bit. Oh, I feel fine. No, I, what was I thinking about? I'm absolutely fine. Oh, no, it's off again. Postmenopause, the light's gone off. It's a very, very different environment once your hormones have dropped. But because it's stable, the body can adapt to it. The body doesn't like fluctuations. It's horrible being in a room where you don't know whether the lights aren't going on or off. When you're in the dark room, your eyes adapt and you can see a bit, but it's a very different place. Now that's very important for women to know because whilst the fluctuating hormones are the most likely to give you symptoms because the body doesn't, you know, we've got estrogen receptors all over our body, in our brain, in our hearts, in our muscles, in our joints. It's hard to find a bit of the human body that doesn't, a female body, it doesn't have an estrogen receptor. That bit tends to be worse for symptoms. But when your estrogen level has dropped, that's when the silent stuff happens. So estrogen is really important at keeping our bodies fit, strong and healthy enough to withstand a pregnancy. So it looks after our bone density. We lose 10 to 30% of our bone density in the first 10 years after menopause when the levels have dropped. It looks after our cardiovascular system, so i.e. our blood vessels that feed all our major organs. It keeps the walls of them nice and springy, and it stops a buildup of atherosclerotic plaques, of, of it stops them getting furred up. It looks after our brain, it looks after our metabolism, it looks after our joints. And when it drops, that silently means that our health is worse. So, um, and, and actually every woman at midlife needs to know that because it means that you have to look after yourself more because you've not got that protective effect of estrogen. So you can't get away with in your 50s and 60s and 70s beyond what you could get away with in your 20s and 30s. And actually your body tells that, you know, suddenly if you have a drink, you have an awful hangover, you can't sleep. You know, it, your body does tell you, yeah, but it is really worth listening. I can't drink wine anymore, Casey. <laughs> I just can't. It's that classic 40-year-old woman's disaster. I, I haven't had this conversation with anyone, but I literally, I can't. I had a glass of rosé on Saturday night. I've still, no, on Friday night, I've still got a headache. So we start to get worse hangovers. Women are often find that it makes them not be able to sleep, um, that they feel more anxious. Um and I think it, what it's doing is potentiating some of the hormonal effects that are going on. Um, so, and, you know, and if we talk about the kind of symptoms that women are likely to experience, you, know, you work from the head downwards and say, not, and this is with perimenopause and hormonal change, but, you know, women can feel anxious for the first time in their lives. Women can feel low for the first time in their lives. Lots of women may not feel an extreme, but might just feel like the color's gone out of life or those things that they previously enjoyed just they don't and if you think about what our brains need when we're looking after when we're pregnant looking after young children our brains need to be optimistic they need to be sharp they need to be calm yeah. that is the biological advantage that estrogen gives i always think estrogen is like a balm on our brains mm -hmm. so when we take it away for some women they really miss that now, what I'll say is that we're all very individual. So not every woman is going to have every symptom, but it can be pretty scary if you've never been an anxious person. And suddenly yeah. you're thinking, I don't want to go to the supermarket because I'm worried I'm not going to be able to park. Um, you know, it, and it's often those kind of anxieties that, that you know are not rational and you can still have that insight, yeah. but they really affect you. Worrying about the kids when you've, previously fine and the thing with menopausal symptoms is that they often estrogen can cause lots of symptoms but the symptoms themselves can sort of form a bit of a negative spiral so the other thing that women often find when estrogen levels begin to dip is that they can't sleep so mm. they'll go to sleep okay and then they'll wake in the early hours of the morning um, and then they'll wake repeatedly throughout the night and that's an estrogen effect and sometimes they might wake up with a night sweat Sometimes they might need to go to the loo. Sometimes they'll be anxious, but actually it's low estrogen that's woken them up in the first place. And often women will first experience that premenstrually. So they'll in the week before their period, they'll notice those symptoms. 
We have a new sponsor for season two of the podcast, Lee Linton from The Ultimate Shred. I have been doing Lee's workouts for over six years and I am a massive, massive fan. Lee has been life-changing for me, getting fit and getting strong. But one of her products that I really love is her matcha. So many people say, Charlie, where do you get your energy from? And the secret is matcha. Matcha is packed full of antioxidants. It is brilliant for your immune system. It's great for your hair, for your nails, for your skin. It helps with water retention. It helps with bloating and it gives you a, a caffeine um, boost, but not like drinking coffee or tea or, or having, um, you know, caffe caffeinated drinks. It just is a slow release. So it gives you this sort of lovely energy boost throughout the day. And I'm a massive, massive fan of it. I drink it every single day. Lee has kindly given us a discount code of Charlie10. All the details will be linked down below in the show notes for you to take advantage of that. So I hope, I hope you do because it really is wonderful, wonderful stuff. The fluctuating estrogen levels can make you feel very foggy. Um, word finding difficulties are a classic menopausal symptom um, and women are very scared about those. It can really affect your confidence both socially and at work um, and also particularly if there's any family history of dementia, women really yeah. worry that they're getting dementia because the, the symptoms of the cognitive symptoms of menopause are very similar to the early symptoms of menopause. Um, sorry, the early symptoms of dementia. Um, headaches, migraines can get worse. Um, eyes can become dry. Skin can become dry. Get more allergies. Um, eczema can get worse. You lose 30% of your hair at menopause. Nails change. Um, palpitations. Lots of estrogen receptors in our hearts. Um, so I see lots of uh, cardiology clinics and general practice clinics are full of women getting palpitations, which need to be investigated with an ECG, but most women will find that they get told it's all normal, but it's real, and it's because of the effect of estrogen fluctuating on their heart. Really muscle, and, muscle and joint pains, because estrogen's an anti-inflammatory, so when estrogen, when estrogen levels drop, everything just aches more. You know, the old woman, oof, as you sit down, you start, you know, lots of women saying to me, I feel like I'm 80. Um, and it's happened overnight. Um, so, um, you know, uh, tiredness, lack of libido, um, uh, genitourinary symptoms. So needing that you feeling like you need to have a pee all the time, um, feeling like going to a GP saying, I think I've got a urine infection and they'll go, oh no, you haven't. Or suddenly getting loads of urine infections or the classic of women saying to me, I'm just getting recurrent thrush. Every month before my period, I get thrush. And I'll say to them, hmm, have you got any discharge? No discharge, just itchy discomfort. That's not thrush, it's hormones. So um, the, the tissue of our vulvas, the outside, our vaginas, the inside, our pelvic floor, um, it, are very, very sensitive to estrogen. When estrogen levels drop and estrogen is at its lowest before your period starts, so premenstrual is often when it begins, um, they're very sensitive to that um, and it can cause horrible discomfort you know I have women who give up riding who work, can't wear tight trousers anymore who struggle to even sit down because of the discomfort that they can get and again if menopause is a taboo oh my goodness um anything to do with our genitalia is even more of a taboo yeah. we don't yeah. talk about it we go to the chemist and we get some canistin yeah. and it doesn't really work but we just sort of go oh well and then it passes again um and, you know, actually, as we're going through perimenopause and estrogen levels are changing, it's an inhospitable place for thrush. Um, so it's very unlikely that you get recurrent thrush if you're not diabetic and if you've not taken antibiotics in your 40s, 50s, 60s. That's why older women can't go and buy canistin over the counter because it's very unlikely that it's thrush. So um, there are many different symptoms. Yeah. Um, and the trouble is, is that what often happens is that you have a little bit of everything. So you've got lots of lots going on and nothing is too bad, but you put it all together and you're feeling pretty shocking. And 
you know, and suddenly you find that you can't, you're shouting at the kids or, and you come away going, what am I doing? Like, this isn't me. You're crying at something for no reason. You're being really horrible to your husband, but you can't stop yourself. Um, And, you know, and and menopause this time in life for some women, you know, it, it breaks up marriages. It, um, you know, can make parenting incredibly difficult. Um, there's really fascinating statistics around the workplace you know women will give up work because they feel that they women will internalize and feel it's their own fault but because they feel that they can't cope um women don't go for promotions women take a lot of time off sick but don't feel they can tell their employers it's because they're having real symptoms if you've not slept for the night you know having to go and, and tackle any kind of work is pretty difficult so you can see why why I'm so passionate yeah. at empowering women with knowledge because um, you need to you need to know about this to recognise that that's what's going on for you and to recognise that there's stuff you can do about it. So I'm going to yeah. pause because that's a lot of information. That, I mean that was fascinating. Thank you because I've never I've never looked at it. I've never thought of it in that way. And that you know even you know from the start from going through puberty and and talking about you know the soldiers all being a bit hectic you know that just yes I'm feeling really excited that's just been a big sort of um light bulb for me I suppose and just it all making complete sense and understanding. The thing that happens to many of us is that we're at a stage of life where we've got like a the house of hormones so we've got our teenagers going through puberty their hormones were all over the place we're our hormones all over the place and actually we're all sort of being our worst selves with each other and you know I do some mother and daughter talks to basically just say and and I wish I could get more of the blooming men in the room just yeah, to say so they could understand exactly that because I think because <laughs> men aren't quite at the mercy of this change as we are um it is really hard to understand something you haven't been through so I also think it's hard as a like a, a 20 30 year old woman in the workplace to understand the woman sitting next to the window having to have the window open because of the hot flush and bursting into tears and maybe being a bit crabby and difficult um i mean you know being labeled as a sort of grumpy older woman no it's hormones and it's going to happen to all of us Um, and what we need at that time is people to be kind to us you don't need someone to react to you you need someone just to go are you all right would you like a cup of tea yeah (laughs) um but I think it is worth then thinking okay so if I know that this is going on what can I do about it and and what I would say is that for some women just understanding it's their hormones is enough you know just knowing they're not going mad that they haven't got dementia that they haven't got an undiagnosed heart problem that no one's that everyone's missing that they you know I have lots of women who get told that they've got chronic fatigue syndrome that they're that they're depressed or anxious and they'll often come to me saying I know I've never been depressed I don't I'm not depressed I'm just low I just lost my joy head up and Um, go completely gone yeah the va-va-voom is has left the room and you know and and even if so the British Menopause Society's last survey said that on average women will be symptomatic uh, for eight years um now and and as I say it can be 10 to 15 years and then often there's symptoms of low estrogen once your ovaries have settled themselves down you know eight years is a long time in a life you know life is precious life is for living and my goodness um you know I think you don't have to you don't have to wait until you feel horrendous to do something about it and it isn't just about the eight years it's about and how do you keep yourself healthy for the rest of your life yeah and also I see lots of women who have been of the generation where they were told that HRT would give them breast cancer they haven't taken HRT and in their 60s and 70s are still having hot flushes can't sleep are still really affected by life and actually there's something they can do as well so you know I think it is important to be informed but first and foremost knowledge you might not need to do anything else just be kind to yourself yeah and just understand yeah 
understand and cut yourself some slack and tell those people around you if I'm being horrible it's not me I'm going through this could you just you know and and I, I think sometimes we forget to do that with the onerous injuries but also in our workplaces and most you know there is policy going through and the House of Commons at the moment, workplaces have to acknowledge menopause. So, you know, we need to be brave enough to say, do you know what? I am struggling a bit at the moment. Could you help me? Um, so, so I think just understanding what's going on is really important. Then there are some lifestyle things that I think are really important to actually start to do before you're going through any of this, because once you're doing it, you're into the good habit. Um, but, you know, what we eat matters. So, you know, putting good quality stuff into our bodies is important. And and the most, the best lifestyle advice I could give anyone is just step away from the processed food. There are no good foods yeah. or bad foods other than processed foods. Yeah. Cook from scratch and you're not going to go wrong. You know, you can have butter, you can have, you know, sugar is not brilliant, but actually if you're cooking from scratch, a little treat every now and again is fine. It's all the hidden stuff in processed food. So yeah. step away from the processed food step towards the fermented food we're just beginning to understand more and more and more about our guts um yeah. and our guts are really important not just for gut function but also for immunity for the way our brain works so look into how do i get those great healthy bacteria into my body um that that i think is really important don't yeah. have a cupboard full of supplements. It should come from your diet. But there are some supplements that are hard to get from our diets in the UK. Some vitamins that are hard to get from our diets in the UK. Vitamin D, we don't get enough sunlight. If you are not getting 40 minutes with 20% of your body exposed to a bright sunny sky, you haven't got enough vitamin D and you should be taking a thousand international units of vitamin D. So I tend to say that there are a few days in summer where I get enough. And yeah. the rest of the time is sunny outside and I'm sitting inside. I take my vitamin D. Yeah. Everyone should do a calcium calculator to work out whether they've got enough calcium in their diet or not. So this is really important for your bones, but you don't want to take it if you've got enough in your diet um, because you can't store it. You excrete it through your kidneys and you don't want to get kidney stones. So do a calcium calculator. If you Google it, one will come up and it just you go through your diet. Think about taking magnesium. Magnesium is really important for lots of cellular functions and our guts aren't very good at absorbing it. Our soil isn't particularly rich on it, rich in it. Um, omega-3, loads of evidence around omega, particularly for brain function, also for immunity. Um, if you eat oily fish three times a week, hooray. If you don't, take some omega. Yeah. Um, look at how you exercise. As we get older as women, our bones like to be... Um, to be a bit stressed, that helps them to stay strong. Um, so weight-bearing exercise from midlife onwards is really important um, and also is really important for our balance so it stops us from falling over. None of us want to, when we're 80, be otherwise fit and healthy, fall over, fracture a hip because we're likely to still be dependent on care a year later. So, you know, it's really important to look after your bones. So weight-bearing exercise, Walking is weight-bearing exercise, running is weight-bearing exercise, but actually I really mean lifting weights. Um, and it is better cardiovascularly for you as you get older than many aerobic exercises are. So weight-bearing exercise, watch the booze, um, try and just drink for two or three days a week. That will massively reduce um, many of the long-term health complications that we can get. Uh, so it reduces your blood pressure, it reduces your cancer risk, particularly your breast cancer risk. Um, you'll sleep better, you'll feel better, you'll lose weight. Um, so cut the booze down to two or three days a week, cut out the fags um, and look after your brain, get out there. When I say look after your brain, I mean as in um, joyfulness and happiness, whether that is mindfulness, whether and whether you get your mindfulness through gardening or through arranging flowers or through baking or or through being with friends. But do those things that keep you sane and prioritize them. Um, 
it's that putting your own oxygen mask on first. You know, when we go on an aeroplane with a small child, we get told to put our own oxygen mask on. And the reason for that is you are no good to your child if you are dead on the floor because you've got no oxygen. It is the same in midlife. These things are not selfish. These things are the things that are going to keep us going. And actually, if you can start doing that before anything, really worthwhile. So there's lifestyle things really important. I'm going to add Katie. Yes. um, Fizzy drinks and fizzy. Oh, no, fizzy drinks. I couldn't agree with you more. Get rid of them. No. And the diet ones worse than the full fat ones. Stay away from them. Have a Coke, have a full fat one, but actually. Absolutely. absolutely bugger your metabolism excuse my language yeah they are so bad and they zap the calcium out of your bones Mm. um as well yeah which i know because i've got weak bones i've always had a low estrogen level yeah so i've had to be on the pill we struggled to have our children but once things started working we had three which was amazing um and and i'm still on the pill and once I, well, I'm going to come and chat to you. Um, but I know that for, for me, I will, I need help yes. for my body. Um, yes. And I've known that all along. And I've always felt a bit of a failure because of that, Katie, but, but you, um, have we have. Well, I mean, and and I think, you know, I think it's really important that thing we have in our minds, which is, you know, we are and we are a particular generation who is just like, I can do it if I just try harder, work harder, do harder, I have it inside myself. You know, I think it's really important to understand that some of these things are a huge, just your basic physiology. So, you know, at perimenopause, you're on a journey to lose 90% of your body's estrogen. Charlie, for you, you haven't been producing enough of it full stop. Estrogen is an incredibly important hormone. So however positive you are, however much you look after yourself, um, you can't make your ovaries make more estrogen. This is just going to happen. So it is not a weakness to have symptoms. It is not a weakness um, to struggle with your perimenopause. Equally, I have other women who are just like, oh, I sailed through it, you know, I'm brilliant. And other one goes, oh, you're so jealous, or you're so wonderful. Wonderful in some ways if you sail through it without symptoms. I don't want anyone to feel rubbish, but that woman has still had the same fundamental hormonal change and so is still at risk of all of the long-term health issues. So actually symptoms can be like, they can't be your friend. They're the canary in the mine. They're telling you something. You know that that's a problem. Yeah. So maybe let's just talk very briefly about, so you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, this is me, or so what else do I do? I'm doing all those lifestyle things, um, but isn't HRT awful? Doesn't HRT give you breast cancer? Doesn't HRT, isn't HRT the thing that we shouldn't do? Um, Well, there may be some of you out there thinking, you know, know, it's the elixir of life and it should be in the water for everybody. Um, I, I think the thing to know is, that HRT has come on a lot in the last 20 years. So 20 years ago, there was a big study published done in America. It was a great study that looked at the HRT they had at the time, which was largely synthetic estrogen and progesterone. And it showed an increased risk of breast cancer. Now, for any of you who want to understand that better, I'd say the first Davina documentary, she did a brilliant thing when she was in a ball pit. And it helped to understand that whilst there is an increased risk of breast cancer, it needs to be put into context of um, the number of women who will get breast cancer. And it also needs to be put into context with other risk factors. So we talked already about the fact that drinking a glass of wine every night has the same breast cancer risk as taking old fashioned combined HRT. being overweight, so having a BMI of over 30, has eight to nine times increased risk of breast cancer. Exercising decreases your risk of breast cancer. Interestingly, being on only estrogen decreases your risk of breast cancer. Really? If you're only on it, you can only be on only estrogen if you haven't got a womb, because um, estrogen stimulates the lining of the womb. And if you give it without progesterone, increases your risk of womb cancer. So you have to have estrogen and progesterone together, but it is just worth saying this needs to be taken in context. It's four extra women per thousand over five years. 
so that's the way to look at it mm. and so and the other thing to think about with that risk is it's a risk of being diagnosed it's not a, it's not a risk of dying from breast cancer so yeah. if you've been diagnosed with a breast cancer and you've taken hrt you're no more likely to die of that breast cancer than anybody else yeah. and in fact that same initial study went on and looked at women 20 years later and it found that there was lower all-cause mortality i.e the women who continue to take um, hrt died less of everything including breast cancer so it's just really interesting that once you scratch the surface of the tabloid headlines yeah. there's more yeah. but the most important thing for us today is that there is now different hrt so we now have hrt that is made largely from yams and from soya and on a molecular level that hrt is almost identical to the stuff our ovaries produce so you'll have heard it being called body identical. Now, the importance of that is that it is, you're giving the body back like for like. So the body recognizes it, tolerates it better, and it is much, much safer. Um, so breast cancer risk with body identical hormones is less than with synthetic hormones. Um, what we also know is that if you take the estrogen component of your HRT through your skin, it goes straight into the bloodstream. When you take it by mouth, it goes mouth, gut, liver, bloodstream. And that bit that goes through the liver, the going through the liver activates clotting factors in the liver and it activates the blood pressure system. So it increases your risk of stroke, which when you're younger and you're taking the pill is, is less of a worry because you're very low risk anyway. But as you get older and risk increases, it becomes more of an issue. So we know that taking estrogen through the skin cuts out clot risk, cuts out stroke risk, cuts out um, uh, uh, risk of putting blood pressure up. So suddenly there's also with modern HRT, a whole host of women who previously may not have been able to take HRT, who can take HRT safely. And we know that if you start HRT in perimenopause or within 10 years of stopping your menopause, it reduces your risk of heart attack and stroke. It protects your bone density reduces your risk of diabetes, reduces your risk of some cancers. Interesting research about whether it may be protective against dementia, we don't fully know, um, but there was a great study done in the, uh, by the University of Arizona, where they looked at a population of 40,000 women, um, and uh, those women taking HRT had 67% less um, dementia and neurodegenerative disease than the women who didn't take HRT. Now, that group of women may have had other reasons for that, um, but it does point towards the fact that, you know, we know we have lots of estrogen receptors in our brain. So this is, it's important both for how you feel, um, but it is also important for long-term health. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to take it, but it does mean that everyone should know that there is safe HR, safer HRT out there and they shouldn't be scared of it. Yeah. Okay. Now what happens if you are diagnosed with breast cancer and you have, you know, I don't know, a lump and you have it removed and you go through treatment, then can you have HRT? Can you not? What do you do? So, I mean, I think this is um, a, a, a very difficult area. And, and it's a really important area because in the UK, one in seven women will get breast cancer. And I think it is really important we understand that statistic because um, going for your breast screening is really important because if you have something picked up early and it's treated, whilst nobody wants to be given a cancer diagnosis, you know, actually for the majority of women, they will have six months of not very niceness and treatment, but then that will be it and done. So the first thing I want to say is that I've met lots of women who were told that their HRT caused their breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And even on old fashioned HRT, um, you know, if you're gonna take a group of women between 50 and 60 and look at them over the next five years, and you take a thousand women, 23 of them will get breast cancer. An extra four will have had a breast cancer because of their HRT. So that means for the majority of women, their breast cancer still probably wasn't caused by the HRT. So I think we've got this horrible guilt thing going on that just needs to go. 
Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing I'm going to say. If you get diagnosed with a breast cancer and you're taking HRT, you need to stop it straight away because the abnormal cells can use estrogen to grow. Yeah. So you do need to stop it. Um, and then you need to understand what kind of breast cancer you've got. Um, yeah. And you need to be talking to your oncologist and to your breast surgeon about what treatment you need. Now, many women will be given, if they've got had an estrogen receptor positive cancer, will be given a hormone blocker um, mm -hmm. because it's been shown to improve the outcome of breast cancer. Um, so whilst you're on that hormone blocker, you are certainly not going to be really thinking about taking HRT. Yeah. Um, but I think for women, say, five years on from their treatment, um, it, it's really difficult because we don't have the data. Yeah. So um, of the data we have, there have been 23 studies that have been done. One of those studies showed an increased risk of recurrence, but not of death in women who took HRT with breast cancer. That was called the HABITS trial. The other studies didn't show an increased risk of recurrence um, of breast cancer, but all of these studies were quite small and they were all quite flawed studies. You can pick them apart. So the yeah. honest truth is, is that we don't know for women um, what HRT does. Um, so it's a very, very careful and individual conversation between, I would say, a menopause specialist, a patient, and ideally their oncologist um, yeah. and their breast surgeon to work out, is this something? You know, I do think for some women, they will feel so awful um, that actually for them, they are prepared to take an uncertain risk because they're feeling so awful that life just doesn't feel like it's worth living but it's a very individual conversation and it's an area that we just need loads more research yeah yeah yeah, yeah. thank you katie and is it i mean so i've been on the pill for years um and obviously i'm monitored carefully by my gynecologist and things like that but is it bad for you to be on it for a long time or is it bad me, to be on the pill for a long time or to be yeah. on hrt for a long time or both <laughs> be on the pill for a long time I mean I've always sort of felt a bit about it but I'd rather feel good and know that my bones aren't getting any weaker and what have you and actually the moment so Charlie, I, I think get my hair yeah, and, and I, and I, I think that the thing with any form of hormone, hormonal contraception is that it is about um an individual so every woman should have an annual review where their own risk and benefit is weighed up and for some women as they reach as they go into their 40s um their risks of stroke high blood pressure may mean that it's the right time to switch them to a progesterone only pill and perhaps to consider having estrogen through the skin in form of hrt or to change the kind of pill that they're on so um but that needs to be an individual, um, an individual discussion. So for you, your estrogen has been low. So actually your benefit from that is, is absolutely um, worth it. But yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's about an individual conversation with a yeah. doctor. So we know that for yeah. HRT, you know, because if you- I've always felt like I failed, like I said to you earlier, because I wanted to be able to track my cycle on the trichle, um, yeah. hang get the words out the you know the, the the apps that you can track your cycles and you can work out what your hormones are doing I feel like I have failed because I can't do that um and I think you know, and maybe and it's think, it's more straightforward for me as a doctor to say this but you know there's a big movement uh for doctors who sexual health doctors do lots of family planning to say do you know what um women don't have to have periods all the time periods can be an incredibly disabling thing for women for some women it's a very light and easy thing um but for some women that really isn't for some women they have awful premenstrual symptoms and you don't have to have that and actually hormones whether it be in the form of contraception or for some women even younger women like with awful uh, pms we can give them hrt hormones um and it can transform things so it's about the woman in front of us yeah and for you your estrogen levels have been low so it's been really important you know <coughs> like i said to you earlier if your thyroid wasn't working you wouldn't think twice about taking a thyroid hormone you wouldn't yeah. think you were a failure yeah 
so I think we have these things in our brain about what what is you know what normal and natural is and actually (coughs) it's about understanding our bodies and making the right choice for us at that time but you know I don't think you you know it is you've got your kids you know you don't need to feel you know it's, it's just one less app you've got to have on your phone is what no, I'm saying to you. Yes, no, I know that. But I think for, I think the reason why I'm talking about it is because there's so much in the media about <coughs> cycle tracking and there's all these sort of conversations about it. But for those people that can't, they feel, you then feel like you failed. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't do that. And so that's, I think, why I want, want to talk about it because it's a horrid feeling and I think the media is so bad at making us feel like we failed if we have to go on HRT or we have to be on the pill or we need some help with our hormones or whatever and I I think the the only thing we need to remember with all of this is that what often drives the media is what um marketing people are doing so you know if we think about the fact that there is a lot of money to be made at the moment um selling books and making apps uh, and there's marketing behind those to tell every woman that they should be tracking their cycle, to tell every woman that this is um, that they must read X, Y, and Z book, otherwise they're not going to be a whole woman or understand their body, or et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. And actually, I think sometimes we just need to step back and go. It's purely marketing. Women have lived, you know, hundreds of thousands of years without needing to do this. And actually, the only time that I would tell a woman to track their cycle. Um, would be when they were trying to get pregnant and even then I normally tell women not to because it can just get you too het up and I normally say to women if you have sex twice a week that is going to mean that there is a chance for an egg and a sperm to meet um I think it can be important if you're having cyclical symptoms so if you're having I don't know horrendous uh, migraines at points in your cycle you you know sometimes then it can be helpful to track your cycle but you know what for most women you don't I mean I I've never tracked my cycle um so for most women you just don't need to and um I think but I do think it's helpful to have that basic physiology knowledge so that say you're having a day where you think why don't I want to go and do some exercise why am I feeling like I want to cancel on my best friend um and you go oh right oh god I'm due my period next week that's probably why all right I'm just going to cut myself a bit of slack you know that kind of knowledge is is helpful there is a brilliant book having said that you don't have to go and read a book you don't you don't but there is a brilliant book by a lady called Maisie Hill called period power Mm -hmm. um and she talks about um your normal cycle your normal hormones what you can do to look after that um and it's just nice and down to earth a bit sort of like I've been to say you know I think sometimes you just we we need to realize that some of that stuff that is coming at us about what we should be doing and how we should be doing it is is purely about marketing companies making money yeah 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 you're right you're absolutely right Thank gosh, you speak such sense, Katie. I love that <laughs> conversation. So let's talk a little bit more about HRT and what the options are. Out yeah. There. So um, I would say that for the majority of women who want to try HRT, it's quite straightforward. You want to take um, a natural estrogen through the skin. So either as a patch, a gel or a spray. Mm-hmm um and that all available through your nhs gp um and then you want to take an either a natural progesterone there's only one kind in the uk called utrogestan um or a hormone releasing coil and my rainer coil is the best place for most women to start having said that if a woman is already on a form of HRT, whether it's combined patch or a pill and it's suiting them and they're feeling well, I certainly wouldn't advise swapping. Um, but if you're starting through the skin estrogen with either uh, with a micronized progesterone or with a coil, I would encourage women to think about a coil, which have had, they've had quite a lot of bad press recently, but actually, you know, the joy of a coil is that it will give you contraception 
periods can often go completely haywire and be heavy and horrible and all over the place um, when you're perimenopausal. So if you want to be able to wear your white trousers with confidence, a coil is going to be your friend. Um, and it will provide the progesterone cover for HRT for five years. Um, contraception after you're 45, it will provide you a coil you'll, you can keep in until you're 55. So um, that's sort of where you start. Women also get really confused about how to take their progesterone. Just a really easy rule of thumb is if you're still having periods, um, because your ovaries are still working, we mimic what your ovaries are doing. So we give progesterone for the second half of the month. Once your periods are finished, um, we give progesterone all the time, every night. Progesterone, the natural progesterone is a big molecule. It's not absorbed well through the skin. So you take it by mouth and you take it at bedtime because it's naturally sedative. So for women struggling with insomnia, it can be a really nice thing to, to take. But estrogen is the dominant hormone in terms of sorting out symptoms of which it's very effective. You know, if your symptoms are caused by a hormonal problem, estrogen to sort, should sort them out. If you're not responding to your HRT, mm. It may be because you're not absorbing it because everybody's skin absorbs differently, but it may also be because the underlying problem wasn't hormones. And that's a very important thing to know too, because yeah. it's about, you know, I, I have conversations with women and I'm like, okay, we're not, we're going to stop chasing the hormones. We need to think about other things now. Um, so your three month follow-up once you've been put on HRT is really important to just sort of tease out, um, you know, what's going on for you. Yeah. And can you get some some symptoms when you start taking it? Can it take a while to kind of get used to it? So um, you can get, um, it's common for women to get some side effects in the first couple of weeks. So you often get a bit of breast tenderness, a bit like when you start the pill, actually really similar to when you start the pill, bit of breast tenderness, a bit of um, sort of lower abdominal pain, a bit like you think, oh, I might be getting a period. Mm -hmm. That tends to, and it's just because those areas are hormone sensitive areas and they're just being used to having some more hormone again. That yeah. tends to settle within a couple of weeks. Um, you might get a bit of spotty all over the place bleeding. Again, if you had that when you started the pill, you're more likely to get that with HRT. That normally settles in three to six months. Doesn't need investigating unless it's gone on for longer than six months. If you feel much, much worse starting HRT than better, um, it might be that you are sensitive to one of the components of HRT and some women are particularly sensitive to progesterone. Um, those women tend to have not got on brilliantly with coils in the past, found they felt very low or worse on the, on the contraceptive pill. Um, and it doesn't mean they can't take HRT, but I always ask women how they've got on with previous contraception. And I'm just keeping an ear out and saying to them, if you feel worse, let me know straight away. Don't sit on it for three months um, because there are other ways that we can give the progesterone that are least likely to give, that are less likely to give side effects. But on the whole, because um, the natural hormones are much better tolerated by our body. We do find that women who maybe haven't got on with other hormones in the past get on with this kind of natural HRT. Um, you know, if women are worried about talking to the GPs about it, most GPs are, are more up to speed now. Um, there's a brilliant um, simple guide to prescribing on Louise Newson's Balance website that you can take to your GP. Um, but, um, it, you know, and, and cost-wise, these these natural drugs cost exactly the same as old-fashioned HRT so you don't have to worry the GP isn't going to prescribe it because it's too expensive etc cetera, etc cetera. it's not great great it's been so helpful now um Louise where can people find you I'm going to leave all of your details in the show notes but you have your own clinic mm. clinic 51. so I yeah clinic 51 so I um have a private uh, women's health and menopause clinic there's me and four other lovely doctors and we see people virtually um in person in Amberley uh which is just between Arundel and Storrington and also in Chichester so our website is www.clinic51.co.uk and um you just fill in a little uh ping us a, uh, a little note on the website or give us a ring and we can book you in amazing Amazing. I found today so fascinating. Thanks. I'm glad it's been helpful. Um, great. Kind of, well, knowledge is power. That's what you started by saying. And I'm going to end by saying it because it really is. But once we understand what's going on, 
then things start falling into place and, and 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 then you can take action you know the best course of action for yourself but I think you know what we talked about about food and about exercise that is I mean it's something that I'm always banging on on about because it's been life-changing for me and yeah, I, I discovered eating well and exercise. Um, and it's that you're putting your own oxygen mask on, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, yeah. Katie, thank you. It's been just brilliant chatting to you. A huge. Oh, thanks, Charlie. Lovely to talk to you too. Thanks. I would be really grateful if you are enjoying my podcast if you would just take a moment to hit the subscribe button it helps other people know that we exist and I would be so grateful of that and leave me a review the more subscribers we have the more episodes I can put on for you so please just take a moment and hit the subscribe button